You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Jonas Ockerlund is one of the greatest music video directors of the modern era. His breakthrough came with the groundbreaking Smack My Bitch Up video for Prodigy, which led to Madonna's Ray of Light, and the rest is history, working consistently with Madonna and also Lady Gaga, Beyoncé, Taylor Swift, Rammstein. Well, his list of clients is a who's who of the music world. Jonas's work is original, often explicit, and always contains the unexpected. His trademark is the fast editing and the astounding images he creates. His first feature was Spun in 2002, a black comedy crime drama about a group of people involved in a metamphetamine drug ring. Since then, he's made a number of movies, which includes the brilliant Lords of Chaos, which he co-wrote, and Polar for Netflix, which stars Mads Mikkelsen. He grew up in Sweden on a diet of MTV and currently lives in LA with his wife, the fashion activist and costume designer B. Ockerlund, who he met during the filming of Spun. His latest work, which will come to Netflix this year, is called Clark, and it's a crime drama based on the infamous Swedish gangster Clark Olofsson, which Jonas directed and wrote. So Jonas, we met um, a few years ago for the first time at the Groucho Club in London when we had a meeting. And one thing that really impressed me about you was this warmth and kindness and the ability to listen and the ability to communicate, which is which are things that have stood you in good stead throughout your um, <laughs> professional life, I'm sure. Um, you're obviously known as someone who's deep into pop culture, but I'm just wondering... As a child, growing up in Sweden, what sort of family did you have when you were a young child and what was your introduction to popular culture? Did you have any at that point? Uh, yeah, uh, well, uh, thanks for the kind words, uh, for starters. <laughs> and, um, well, I kind of grew up like middle class, you know, divorced parents, my mom... Uh, went into some uh, sort of party uh, party years when she when 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 my my parents split up and I was surrounded by music always and I had a sister who was uh, a couple of years older who basically introduced me to uh, especially English music like a lot of music so I was always surrounded by music. Um, and back then, Sweden, Swedish television was basically nothing. We, it was public television and nothing really interesting. So filmmaking was never in my head back then. It was always all about the music. And I thought for years that I was going to be a musician and I was going to spend my life uh, somehow working in the, in the music world. When did you get a drum kit? Uh, kind of late for... You know, again, it wasn't like I started thinking that I was going to be a drummer. It was, it was, it was basically like, okay, that guy has a guitar, that guy could sing, and you know, that guy could, you know, play drums. And I became the drummer. And uh, I would say maybe I was twelve years old, thirteen years old when I got my first drum kit. You know, practicing in a basement. Every, every we lived in houses, and every house basically had instruments in the basement. So it was a lot of music. Wherever you went, like, you know, we formed new bands like every week, basically. 
So you you didn't really disturb your mother by playing the drums, or she wasn't irritated by you wanting a drum kit or anything at that point. Well, moms moms in general from that era was very had a lot of patience, and they they no, they, it was actually fine. And uh, like I said, my mom had like a lot of parties back then, so a lot of her friends came down playing as well. So yeah, and, you know, and also there was one thing. I'm not sure why, but Sweden was very attractive for uh, all the touring bands. So a little later, we started to go and see shows. And the shows was like everybody just came through Sweden for some reason, even though back then Sweden was a pretty small market, like all the major bands always came through Sweden. And the reason those big tours started there was because it was the first night, it was almost like a test night in a small yeah. market. And the second yeah. night is when they would be filmed. Um, so I think that's interesting. You're also an MTV generation person. And I'm wondering when you saw your first video or the first visual image that really impressed you and made an impact on you, when was that and what was it? Um, uh, well, I mean, Again, Swedish television was very behind. We were like the last country in the world to get commercial TV stations. So for us, it was like a lot of tapes rolling around. And the Swedish uh, public television always said, you got to help me, Steve. There was this uh, German show that came out on uh, with live bands playing that was like once a year or something like that. Uh, that had like a lot of impact, like a lot of bands playing. I would say this is probably early 80s um so but then of course abba did like a lot of visual stuff that we knew about uh that but you know the idea of filming musicians and turn them into music videos came way later uh i didn't really think about that until way later um and of course as you know american mtv came first so before we even had and European music videos. I travel a lot in America and we started to check into the motels that actually had MTV so we can watch music videos. That's brilliant. You were you were in a band yourself um, when you were young. You said you were in bad, different bands every week, but you were also in a, in a death metal band uh, in an early age. Yeah. What, what, what attracted you to that music and what tr attracted you to uh, that type of genre? Well, we were we were into rock and roll for sure, uh, starting early with 70s bands, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I, I basically started in the Alice Cooper, the Sweet, Slade, you know, all the glam world. And then obviously Kiss came into my life and uh, a lot of English stuff like Thin Lizzy and Status Quo, like all those things were on my radar. But the one that always were my favorite band and still up to this day was always Black Sabbath. And when we started to play metal, uh, the 80s uh, kind of like glam scene was very big. And me and my friends, we were not really into that kind of, uh, you know, Sunset Strip type of metal. Uh, we were drawn to like the darker, kind of like more visual, more we, we loved horror films and uh, creating fantasy worlds. So that's kind of what it came from. And, and then me and my cousin uh, uh, met this guitarist who was uh, uh, Quarton and we formed the, the band Bathory and he was uh, already way ahead of us in terms of uh, writing his own songs and and also technically he was like a real musician we were still just banging away having fun uh, so it, it was kind of created out of 
a mix of us liking the dark stuff uh, like Black Sabbath, but also the punk scene was also big. So we wanted to play fast. And out of that came, you know, you said death metal, but it's actually black metal that we were playing. So that out of that came black metal. And I didn't really realize back then that that was the beginning of something that still exists today. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think the the mix up I got with death metal is because I've just watched Lords of Chaos, of course. Oh. <laughs> but the, oh, wow. But there was one quote in Lords of Chaos, which I think sort of could relate to you as a young person. And uh, it was about this moment that defined your existence. Uh, was there a moment in your life that has defined your existence from back then? Um, uh, I think uh, not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't point to one moment, but uh, but it was definitely you know for me uh, kind of like changing my career or whatever you want to call it. Back then, it was more like ideas, but for me to do uh, military service in Sweden. Uh, kind of became the moment where I realized that music is probably not what I'm going to do. Uh, filmmaking is, is came very natural to me. I accidentally ended up in, in, uh, in a department in the, in the army where they were shooting film. And I discovered uh, editing machines. Back then it was like these tape to tape machines. And I would say that that's as close as I can get to like a moment where where I realized that this is uh, where I feel like home. And I, I felt uh, I didn't have to uh, practice or even learn it. It, just, it was just there. It felt very natural for me while drumming was always a struggle for me. I was always struggling to be good. I was good at coming up with logos and names and like, you know, the, the visual part of music, but I was never really a good drummer. So film editing was probably the, the one moment that kind of set the tone for what I'm still trying to do, which is conquer editing and, and be the best editor I can. What, um, how did you act upon that moment then? Well, again, I'm saying this again because it's, it's such a big part of my life. This is pre-everything because I'm, I'm old, I'm a dinosaur. And <laughs> so it wasn't really like, you, I couldn't really think that, oh, I want to do commercials or I want to do music videos. That was not on my radar because we didn't have it in Sweden. So it was, became like short films and it became that there was this rumor that, uh, that uh, commercial TV was going to come. So I ended up in a, in a company where we, who were ahead of their times with uh, commercial commercials. So we started to make commercials. And by the time we got commercial TV in Sweden, we were like the, one, the, 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 the ones that knew how to do it. And we were still very young. So, so commercial, yeah, that became like my life for, for, for years, actually. I mean, you said that the editing was, was the sort of the, the, the beginning. Did you have any actual um, education in making film? No, never. I never did. Uh, but I did. I was surrounded by people that was a couple of years older that I learned a lot from, uh, you know, especially and. And I do see those first few years as practicing on commercials and real budgets and real jobs and real expectations from clients and stuff like that. That kind of uh, was my film school. Uh, but on the edit side, I did work for a director who was very ahead of, her, uh, ahead of his time in terms of telling stories in short time, you know, because 
in music videos and commercials, we we kind of we want to believe that we can tell the story of the history of the world in 30 seconds. And a good as a good editor, you actually can. You, there was one short film that you made. I don't know if it was the first one called The Hidden, um, Chaos in Your Mind or Chaos of yeah. the Mind. I think it's yeah. called Chaos of the Mind. And yeah. um, it's really interesting because when I looked at that today, I could still see, and I hate this word, your brand, but I could see certain trademarks of, of Jonas Ockeland in there. You know, I could see certain things already uh, yeah. flowering and, and in there. And it's... Um, and a lot of it was, you know, was about this sort of dark image in your in in the head, um, yeah. uh, being presented on the screen in this in this short film. Um, how important was it? Do you feel for you in the terms of those first few films that you made to actually start developing what has become really, in essence, a sort of trademark, a brand? Yeah. Well. I didn't know it back then, and it took me years before I understood what my strength was as a, as a director and editor, because I always said to everybody, I don't really have a style, because I could do so many different things. And I felt like all the directors that I looked up to had such a distinctive style and, and look or whatever it was, like a, a tone or something. But I never felt like I did until way later in my life where I realized that, you know, it is editing and sound design that is kind of like my style where you can recognize it's it, no matter what I do, it could be a commercial for Viagra or it could be a, a feature movie. It's like, I still try as a director to always have like a little bit of my fingerprint on the stuff I do. And I think it's, and, and especially on the hidden, that short film you saw, it's uh, it's basically, it's it's well shot, of course, but it's really editing and sound design that makes the impact of, of that film. And it's funny you mentioned that film. I'm very proud of it up to this day. That was the first thing I ever shot that kind of got a life outside Sweden. You know, it did like a little festival tour on festivals and it actually ended up on a few in a few hands in Los Angeles. Like Oliver Stone saw it and he called me and like people actually called me after seeing that short film. So, yeah. Wait, so wait it's a minute. Important you, sorry, you said Oliver Stone called you. After uh, you Oliver made... Stone saw it and I had a meeting with him. And like, uh, it, it's it's like it back then, I guess it's still the same, but back then it's like, you know, everybody's looking for like the new thing. And that, uh, you know, this is pre-internet. <laughs> so it was like VHS tapes, like circling around in Hollywood with this short film that people talked about. Uh, so yeah, so so that was kind of like my first contact when uh, even think about working outside Sweden back then was not you know you could not think about it. What what but, discussion did you have with him? Well, that that was just one out of many meetings. It was like you know a lot of people like wanted to meet you. You know everybody wants to pick up the flavor of the month. You know, and the Emperor's New Clothes is like big in Hollywood. So I don't know. It was like, you know, same questions, whatever, whatever meetings you do in Hollywood still up to the States. Like, so what do you want to do next? You know, <laughs> what do you have for now? And I'm like, my answer is always like, you know, whatever. Like, I'm like, good stuff. Everybody knows the good stuff. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. I mean, it's yeah. amazing to me because that feels that's a, a very early, early stage 
and you have that sort of impact and people getting in touch with you, which sort of sets you up in a sense for failure because it's very quick and your career has taken a long time to build. I mean, you've had massive yeah. steps along the way, but you know, your career, you can see the, the building of your career over the years. And it's it seems funny in a way that <laughs> this came out of the blue with the first ever yeah. Um, yeah. Um, short film, but then you've obviously um, in Sweden started to make more films. And one person you worked with um, immediately, I think after that was Marie Fredriksson who's yeah. uh, the late singer of, of Roxette. Um, and that was not with Roxette, was it? Was that with her solo at that point? Yeah, they were in the middle of, uh, I guess it was almost like the height of the career for Roxette. She did this solo album. And uh, I had done a few music videos in Sweden uh, for local artists. And Marie approached me like very ahead of our time if you think about it we basically made a visual album we made basically made lemonade lemonade back then you know because she was like here's my album i want to have like visuals for the whole album so it turned out to be like this 40 minute kind of like visual thing with her thoughts and her speaking and you know her music in there and uh, that uh, caught the attention. It was it was for Swedish television, uh, but it caught the attention of Per, which was her partner, and that's kind of what uh, brought me into work with uh, Roxette eventually. Now you worked in Sweden on a number of videos, the Cardigans with Roxette, as you mentioned. You obviously worked with Johan, as you've got a business with Johan, and he's uh, yeah. Johan Rink, and he's your best friend. But as you you directed the Stacker Bow. Um, video as well so yeah. you've been uh, connected in in that sense to to Sweden how uh, did it come about that you had a sort of breakout from Sweden and I presume this was the the prodigy video that really caused the breakout yeah well it was a series of stuff that happened on the, at the same time and I think you know, to be honest, I was kind of sick and tired of working with music videos in Sweden because there was no there was no real platform for it. And it, it took a lot of work to make these videos. Uh, so I was just about and this have happened a few times in my career when I'm just about to give up on music videos and then something happens. But it was uh, the, the, I, the, working with Roxette. I realized that all this hard work is actually spreading and people are actually seeing it. And uh, there was a series of stuff that happened at the same time. One of them was that Moby, uh, who kind of, he was very, he was very smart. Early on, he was like, had his eyes on stuff that was going on outside America. So he did this uh, 007 theme for a James Bond song. And he actually called me and asked if I wanted to do the video. And that, what he saw from me, I'm not sure. But uh, at the same time, uh, Liam and Prodigy saw uh, a video I did with Per Gessler, solo album called Kicks, a, 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 a solo video that he saw. So he called at the same time. So I got these both calls at the same time doing uh, a, an English job and an American job. We shot it all here in Europe. And then from that came, uh, from the success of Smack My Bitch Up came uh, the first phone call from Madonna. Yeah, just to go back to um, 
Johan Ring, and I'll come through Liam Howlett and come up to Madonna, but um, <laughs> to, to Johan, because, you know, you've been very close over the years, very good friends, and probably possibly your best friend, and also that you've worked so closely together. What have you contributed, do you think, to each other's professional lives? What have you been able to give Johan, and what has he given you in terms of your professional ability? Wow, that's a tough question. I mean... Uh, I don't know. I think we always had like a pretty good give and take, you know, relationship between us. I was, you know, not that it matters today, but back then being a year older, it was always like making me a step ahead of him, you know, because when he was in school, I was already starting to work and like, you know, so we kind of like always kind of like helped each other and paved each other's way, you know, and I don't know. It's a, it's a tough question, but I feel like we always had like a pretty good on a friendship level, on a professional level, like always like a good give and take relationship. And weirdly enough now, because we don't live in the same city, we don't see each other much, but we're still like as connected as could be. And the minute we're in the same room, it feels like we're 14 again. So it's like, it's, it's like always, you know, that's kind of how our friendship is, you know, but if I have a problem, he's my first call, you know, it's like, if I have, if I'm sad or down or whatever, he's my first call. And, and I'm always his first call too. So, you know, so there's definitely a, a nice connection between us. I mean, Liam Howlett, when we talk about the prodigy Smack My Bitch Up video, he said there was a real realness um, to the video and that's why it had um, such an impact. Can you remember pitching it? Did you come up with the idea? What ideas did they have? Who contributed what? Yeah, I, I remember very clearly and I've told this story before, but uh, it's it's uh, they send me the music and I could not uh, figure it out. I I I back then the, the, the tape sends out like there was not like today it's a little bit more focused, you know. But back then they just send tapes out and then you can write an idea and hopefully you get it. It's like winning the lottery. And I couldn't figure it out. So I actually turned it down. I passed on it because I was like, I didn't have a strong enough idea. And then I had a party night in Copenhagen with a friend. And I woke up in a hotel room with very vague memories. But one of the memories I had was seeing my own foot kicking in a door and uh, somebody was sitting on the toilet in a bathroom stall and I was in bed in Copenhagen with the worst hangover ever thinking that this is kind of cool. Uh, and kind of wrote the shortest treatment I ever written. I think it was like half a page, basically like point of view, party night. Uh, and at the end, uh, there's a sex sequence where, uh, where we look in the mirror and we see it's a woman. That was basically it. It was no visual treatment. It was nothing else. It was just that. And we only had, we only had, I only met Liam like once or twice in my whole life. We met, nobody showed up at the shoot and I shot the video. And to be honest, they didn't like it. They pressured me to see an early, early cut. Uh, and I was like, I'm not done yet. Please just like bear with me. I need to finish the edit. Uh, eventually they, I sent them a tape. And I, I got uh, here, up here in my bathroom, I have a fax framed from uh, some manager to Prodigy saying that we don't like the video. We, we're not going to pay to finish it. Stop 
stop working on it. We don't like it. So I was uh, crushed and I thought, okay, that was my 30 seconds of working out of, out of Sweden. Uh, so I finished the video without any uh, client around. So what I did was I started to edit in the music. I started to add sound effects. I started to attack. And then I sent off a tape to Liam because I knew his address because I had been to his house in Essex. I had his address. So I sent off a tape with a note saying that when you, whatever you have time, look at this. This is, this is how I intended the video to be. And it took, I don't know, it took a few weeks or so. And then <laughs> I got the phone call. And he looked at it and he was like, okay, we love it. We're going to use it. So I finished the video without any clients around. Just like, I just did it. I remember that seeing that video and um, I can't remember if I was at MTV or in Germany at that point, but it was so impactful that everyone was just, um, you know, taken aback. It was unbelievable. And of course that the, the twist as it were at the end that you realize at the end, Oh, it's another woman was yeah. uh, you know a masterstroke you said that was in the initial um description that was something that you always wanted in there you had that in your mind yeah. i'm gonna have this yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and it was that came from the from the title of the song smack my bitch up i mean that's that's where that's where it came from yeah i mean it was just it was uh, an an amazing amazing video and i can completely understand how that video had such an a uh, an, an impact and someone like Madonna would then contact you. How did she contact you? And what did she initially say? What's your initial contact? Well, I mean, somehow she got her hands on the video because as you know, as you remember, the video wasn't really released because it was heavily censored, but it had a lot of buzz around it. I remember, I remember getting uh, press material from uh, from my back then English agent because I got an agent right away when I started to work in England, and uh, there was like all these like debates on TV and like it was so much press around the video. It was almost for me it was a shock because I didn't I I always thought the video as a comedy <laughs> a comedy piece. Me and my friends were like laughing when we looked at it, but I had no idea that people would take it so seriously. Uh, obviously, in, good for me, but somehow it ended up at her uh, in her in her hands, uh, and uh, she just like she said she wanted me to do ray of light, and and basically it was a phone call. I didn't think it was her. I was like, I thought somebody was pulling my leg. I was like, <laughs> like doing that stupid thing, and then I realized it was her, and I was like, shit my pants and I was like whoa <laughs> I was like and then she sent the music and I tried I was trying and then she actually flew me to New York so I met her in New York the first time I met her in New York and basically I was basically doing what I always do with all my clients trying to figure out what she wanted to do and I misread her tremendously I had such a bad ideas I think I pitched like four or five ideas that was just too complicated and too big and wrong for her at the time and then eventually i pictured this like pretty simple idea uh, a day live fast forward quick as a ray of light like following the lyrics following uh, uh, william orbit's uh, amazing beats and like all that stuff and and she bought it she was like and it was it was kind of a long shoot and i shot parts in sweden and everywhere her part was just like basically dancing around on that dance floor. So uh, 
we only shot with her for like a day and the rest was like me basically uh, running around shooting time lapse as as we call it um i didn't know back then that the timing of that video was uh, the way it was. I thought I was kind of embarrassed actually that the video was so simple. I I, I thought when I came back to Sweden that it was, uh, you know, it, it's almost embarrassing. Like you go to America and you come back with this, you know, that uh, with my friends, I was like, this is all you got. Like I, so I didn't realize then that, you know, Madonna's time uh, where she was at the time, you know, and William Orbit's amazing music and her uh, Mario Testino's album cover and like all that the package was amazing and it it must be one of the biggest comebacks ever because right before that album she was struggling but it's interesting you say that because I interviewed Madonna in 92 and 94 and I think it was in the 92 interview it may be in the 94 but she asked me who she should work with and at that point William Albert had had his first album out and I'd heard it and I just said William Orbit, because I just thought that would make a great combination. Now, I'm not taking any credit, because I think no. Madonna is a person that will ask everyone she meets. No, you know? no, man, you're wrong, Steve. You and me are the reason for her big comeback. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Madonna. So <laughs> the, the thing about Madonna as well is that she knows exactly what she wants. Um, you really have the feeling that... that um, she she maybe she needs to hear the idea to know what she wants but she knows what she wants um and um she's much more cultured than i think people think she is and i think she's much more interested in things than people think she is possibly yeah. that's today and not you know 20 years ago when when uh, she really you know was on absolutely on top of the world but i think even today she's really interested in different things and hungry and and that's really fascinating about Madonna so what does she bring to a meeting and what do you bring and how does that combination work because you've worked with her for such a long time now that there is something about the two of you that must work very well together and I'm just wondering how you fit together well, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a, 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 a two-way respect uh, re working relationship uh, that eventually became friendship as well, you know. And uh, but uh, I don't know. It's like, you know, she is really good at getting the best out of you. She's really good at targeting talent. Uh, but you know, she keeps me on my toes more than anybody else, and. At the minute I think I know what she wants, I'm wrong. You know, the minute I think I like ah, this is a home run, then I'm wrong. And I hate to say it, she's pretty much always right. <laughs> you know, so but but she gives you weirdly enough, she gives you a lot of creative freedom. Uh, but within those within those rules that you know you have to be on your toes and you have to perform at your best. You know, you can't trick her into doing something half-assed or trick her into telling her that this is good when it's not good. You know, she knows her stuff, but she also uh, work with people that this is not just me. This is like everybody around her, like uh, especially on her touring and also in the studio, she always finds people that are fantastic from the beginning, but then they become a little better with her, you know? So, and that, you know, she's good. You know, sometimes 
Sometimes she doesn't know, you know, here's a song. What do you think? And the next time she comes and she says, I have this vision. This is what I want to do. You know, so sometimes I have to filter all the stuff because it's too many ideas. And the next time it could be like she doesn't know. You know, it depends on where they are. Usually in the beginning of an album uh, release, uh, you know, it's one thing. And when you're down to like the fourth and the fifth single, it's a little looser, you know. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, I love her to death and she's my art mother. She, I learned so much from her and uh, I, I don't know where I would have been with her. Not so much like the other, not not only the work we did together, but also the attitude I bring with me when I work with other artists uh, from stuff I learned from her. That's really fascinating. Do you think that all superstars, because you've worked with Lady Gaga, obviously you've worked with Beyonce, um, you've worked with U2. um, Do you think that all superstars have that in common that they understand when they know what they want and they understand when they don't know what they want? Um, I think so. I think so. I mean, because, I mean, obviously when you're in a group or when you're an artist, you know that you are need people. It's not a soul. You can't do it yourself, you know, and some, all those, all those names you just listed now are also known to have long relationships, you know, and that's something I valued from, from the beginning that, you know, that we work together a few times and we get to know each other and we can do even better, you know? So and that I value that a lot, you know, and it, it's hard to meet people that you really like and connect with in this business, you know. So if you do, you should, you know, hold on to it. Um, so I, I do feel like that's something they have in common. And, um, you know, obviously all those names you just said are tremendous talents, you know, but I think they all know their limitations and they know when to 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 say yes and when to say no. And in part two, we talk about his more recent video work and also his films, including the wonderful Lords of Chaos. See you then.